Nobody wants trouble or trial in their life. I know of no one who goes out looking for unemployment. Do you? I know of no one looking for disease or looking for strife in relationships. But trouble comes. Trial has a way of finding us. As human beings, we find ourselves in various trials. Now, what you don't see are people that celebrate the trial or hardship that they may be going through. You don't see people popping champagne bottles when they get a bad diagnosis at the doctor or the pink slip at work. No, by definition, a trial is something that we're not looking for, that we're not hoping for, that we're not desiring. We're not looking for trouble or trial. But nonetheless, as Christians, we should learn to glory in tribulations and trials. What? Glory in tribulations and trials? What's that? Yes. The Apostle Paul put it this way, and you'll see it up on the screen. Romans chapter 5, verse, beginning at verse 3, he said this, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. And so the Christian, for the Christian, Paul's exhortation is to glory in trial and tribulation because God is taking us through a process. He's taking you through a process. We're enrolled, really, in, let me say it, Jesus University. Yeah, we're, we're in school, amen. We're enrolled in a process. We're enrolled in a teaching. And I've called it, for tonight at least, Jesus University. Now to graduate from JU, yeah, JU, to graduate from JU, you have to know the concept and have experiential knowledge in learning obedience to the will of our Heavenly Father. In our text tonight, Peter hits on this same theme and he gives us principles in reaching to or reacting to and walking through the trials that would come our way. And so if you're taking notes tonight and you are indeed enrolled in Jesus University, yeah, yeah, it, it, maybe you want to get enrolled, I've got two points for you and they're real simple. The first one is this, rejoice in your sufferings and secondly, glorify God in persecution. So first, let's look at it, rejoice in your sufferings. Let's pick it, pick it up first, Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, it says this, Beloved. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory of, of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Rejoice in your sufferings. That's the point. That's a point that we're learning in 
Jesus University. Now, this may seem counterintuitive. You, you may think, you know, rejoice in your sufferings. That doesn't, seem, that doesn't seem instinctual. That doesn't seem intuitive. Rejoice in your sufferings. It seems uh, like it makes sense to rejoice when things are good and great and then contemplate when things are bad or maybe be silent in the trial uh, might seem logical. No, we are to, according to the scriptures, we're to rejoice in our sufferings. Now first here, Peter tells us, the first thing he says here in, in verse 12 is he, he says, don't think it's strange that you're in a trial. Don't think it's strange. Well, our first thought when a trial confronts us, at least mine is, is this is strange. Amen? You know, here Peter's saying, think it not strange that you're in a trial. And the first thing I think of, wow, this is strange. This is weird. I don't like this. Amen? Well, it's, it's kind of like, um, uh, I was thinking about this, and, and it's kind of like a $100,000 pyramid. You remember the game show? I think they're making a reprise of it now. They're, making it, they're bringing it back. They're bringing all the old game shows back <laughs> so that we can enjoy. And uh, anyways, I think, who is it? Um, um, Michael Strahan. Yeah, yeah, you guys know. Yeah, Michael Strahan is, uh, is guest hosting this. And so anyways, if we were on a $100,000 pyramid, uh, it might go, the clue might come like this, and you would guess it right away. It might go like this on a $100,000 pyramid. Trial, tribulation, <laughs> suffering. Things that are strange, right? Things that are strange. Yeah, things that are strange. Everything is going great, and suddenly you're in a trial. Um, things that are strange. But we're not to think it's strange for the Christian. We're not to think it's strange, but rather, Peter says here, rejoice. Rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in sufferings because Jesus suffered. We, we don't just... Rejoice in sufferings for the sake of rejoicing in sufferings. No, we as believers rejoice in sufferings because Jesus suffered. Jesus, who uh, became man and came to this world, and, and he suffered. He suffered in the flesh. And he overcame everything for us. He overcame every single thing that this life could throw at him, even death. He overcame death, the cross, the grave. He was resurrected on the third day, and he's alive right now. Amen? And because of this, because Jesus went through these sufferings, we can rejoice in the sufferings if indeed we actually are partaking in the sufferings of Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering, through the, through the whole process of going to the cross. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, You'll see it on the screen. It says this, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus, in his humanity, learned obedience to the will of the Father. You see, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to suffer these things. He didn't have to go through these things. But he learned obedience in the things which he suffered. Why? Because you'll remember that he came to this world, and on the night that he was betrayed and arrested, on that night he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, and he prayed so intensely that the Bible tells us that he sweat uh, drops of blood. And this is, this is actually medically, uh, this is the medical term for this, that, that through times of, of, of um, 
anticipating uh, agony and, and that type of situation that, that this is, this is a, a possible, possible uh, situation. So you have Christ sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying. And he says, if there's any other way, Father, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. And so he submitted himself and he learned obedience to the will of the Father through the things which he suffered. And because he's the author and finisher of our faith, he's the author and perfecter of our faith, that we are to learn through the sufferings that would come our way as we partake in the sufferings of Christ. Amen? So the trial and the tribulation that we go through is is the Jesus school. Amen? It's Jesus University. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. So our perspective as a believer is different concerning trials. We don't look at trials the way everyone else does. When things come our way, things are different for the believer. We have a completely unique perspective on the things that are going to happen to us in our lives. When things are great, hey, praise the Lord. And when things are troublesome or it's a trial or tribulation or we're partaking in the sufferings of Christ, we are going to rejoice in the Lord because he's our strength and we are being honored by the fact that we are partaking in the sufferings of Christ. So we have a unique perspective on this life as we walk through it. We have a a very unique perspective concerning trials. We know that God is teaching us in those times, in times of trial, times of trouble, we know that God is teaching us. The writer of Hebrews would continue later in, in that passage. I don't have it up on the screen for you, but you're very familiar with that passage in chapter 12 where he says um, concerning hardship, he says, consider hardship as discipline for God is treating you as sons and not as illegitimate children. Amen. And so when we go through the trial, when we go through the trouble, we rejoice because we're counted worthy to partake in the sufferings of Christ. And also he's teaching us. He's disciplining us as his dear children that we're to learn the thing that he is wanting to teach us in our lives. And so we rejoice. We rejoice. Wow. What an amazing, unique perspective. Now, this isn't, you know, this isn't mind blowing stuff. This isn't something that you've never heard of before tonight. But let me put it this way. It is kind of mind-blowing. If you were to walk out and talk to a complete non-believer, someone that's not following God, not a Christian, not following the word, and you say, look, the Lord calls us believers to rejoice in sufferings. Wow, that's radical. That's radical and it's intense. And let me tell you, it is a blessing to be a child of God and to be able to have that perspective uh, when things come our way, when we find ourselves in the trial. So we need to learn obedience and discipline through the trial. And also, there's one more thing that we need to do during the trial and the tribulation. We need to give thanks. We need to give thanks and praise to God. So this is part of the rejoicing. Uh, Part of rejoicing in the sufferings, I believe, is giving thanks. Uh, Paul put it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll have it up on your screen uh, for you. And... um, this is, this is actually, believe it or not, this is three verses of Scripture. So I, I was actually thinking about this, and if you wanted to tell your friends that you memorized three verses of Scripture tonight, this is it. This is actually three verses. This is what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. He said, rejoice always, 
pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God is for you? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. Rejoice in your sufferings, rejoice always, pray continually. When the moment arises for you to go to the Lord in prayer, that's a perfect opportunity to be in prayer. Amen? And to give thanks in everything. Not for everything, but we can give thanks in everything because we know that God is still on the throne. He's our Lord and Savior. And he's molding us and making us and bringing us through the trial and tribulation and bringing us and making us to the people that he wants us to be. Amen? And so give thanks in everything. In everything. Wow. I just saw this, and I don't know if you caught this. I just saw this this week. There was a little 10-year-old boy who was kidnapped from his front yard. And he was taken for three hours. And after three hours, the kidnapper let the boy go. But wait till you hear why. Here's the story from Fox News Online. Willie Myrick, 10 years old, said that he was in his front yard and bent down to pick up money. And when somebody grabbed him and threw him in a car, he told me he didn't want to hear a word from me, Myrick said. That's when Myrick began to sing a gospel song called Every Praise. The kidnapper started cursing and repeatedly told Myrick to shut up, but he wouldn't. He sang the song for about three hours until the kidnapper led him out of the car. The little boy ran to a nearby home and asked the resident to call his guardian. Isn't that great? Here are the lyrics to the song, Every Praise, by Hezekiah Walker, that little Willie Myrick sang for three hours, and it caused him to be released from a kidnapping situation. And when I went and I Googled the song and went to the lyrics, I was just like, wow, what an incredible, incredible story. Here are the words. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is due our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God my Savior. God my healer. God my deliverer. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Now, can you imagine a 10-year-old boy singing this song for three hours and you just kidnapped him? Wow. And I think an incredible situation just became an example for us. That every praise, every opportunity that we have, is it, we need to give thanks and we need to give praise in every, each and every situation. And I am just, let me just say, I am, I'm, I'm unbelievably impressed <laughs> with a 10-year-old boy that was put into that grievous situation but found his way out just giving praise to Jesus. Amen? And, and what, what, can you imagine what the kidnapper thought when he got to the line, God, my deliverer? <laughs> Unbelievable, right? What Peter says here in verses 12 through 15, back in 1 Peter 4, is he said that, says that we should rejoice when we share in the sufferings of Christ. Because in the end, you will share in his glory also. 
and you will be exceedingly glad and full of joy. So you may go through a time of trial here. You may go through a time of tribulation. But rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because in the end, you are going to be exceedingly glad and full of joy when we're in the presence of our, of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then what does Peter do in the, the remaining verses there? Peter, um, he contrasts suffering, uh, two kinds of suffering. The, the, the kind of suffering that is sharing in the, the Lord's suffering, suffering for being a Christian, suffering for living for the Lord, just suffering that is partaking of Christ's suffering, and suffering that comes from doing evil. Suffering that comes into people's lives from doing evil. And so Peter lists some of the things that you may suffer for for doing evil. And he says, don't, don't do this. Don't suffer for being a murderer. You know, don't murder. Don't murder people. Don't kill people. Don't suffer for being a murderer. Don't suffer for stealing. Don't suffer because you're a thief. Don't suffer because you do evil. I think for most people, and although it needs to be preached from the pulpit, amen, don't murder, don't steal. These are all a part of the Ten Commandments, amen. Don't do evil. He adds one more to it that seems out of place in the list. Don't suffer because you're a busybody in other people's matters. Wow. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter just kind of pulled that one out. You know, murder, stealing, evil, busybody. Yeah. Don't be a busybody. Yeah, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Christians aren't to be busybodies. Amen? We're not to be people who are constantly worried with everyone else's stuff, everyone else's situation. You know, I find that when people are so consumed and concerned with other people's situations and other people's matters, that they're not giving proper attention to their own situations, their own matters that they need to be responsible for. People who are busybodies also do suffer a lot of grief and pain, mentally, emotionally, because they're getting all involved in everyone else's turmoil. You know, there are some people that I, I don't, I'm not really, I don't know, maybe I find myself in this class sometime, but you know, there are people that just gravitate towards the drama of everything. You know, they just, they just want to be in the center of everything. We had, we had neighbor over in um, Hunter's Creek. Man, she knew every single thing that was going on in that whole little town. And this was no small neighborhood. Hunter's Creek's like 25,000 residents. And believe you me, she knew everything that was going on. And I, she amazed me. I was like, how do you know this stuff? I, 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 I'm busy doing stuff. I'm busy working. What are you doing? You know, we're not called to be worried about everybody's business and everybody's stuff. We're, we're, we're called to, you know, really first be re responsible for our own situation. Um, you know, there's that passage of Scripture where Paul talks about, you know, being content with your own life and your own little situation. To, if it's up to you, lead a, lead a quiet life. In other words, I think what he's saying there is, is, is kind of mind your own business, do your work, do what God's called you to do. And, and don't be meddling and causing a big stir. And, um, well, anyways, 
it, it, I think it can take away from um, just being able to rejoice in the Lord um, if we're constantly uh, worried about other people's matters. So we've got to rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings. But secondly, uh, Peter says, glorify God in persecution. Glorify God in persecution. Let's look at verse 16 of 1 Peter 4. It says this, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The first point in Jesus University is rejoice in our sufferings. The second point is glorify God in persecution. There are a few different ways you can feel for suffering, for being a Christian, for being a person of faith. Let's call it persecution, being persecuted for the faith. And we're seeing more and more of this. Um, there's more and more persecution of the faith. There's never been a time when there hasn't been persecution, but it's, it's, becoming, it's coming into um, areas and nations um, where perhaps maybe we haven't seen to the degree of persecution of believers. Now we're seeing it more and more. But there are a few different ways you can feel for suffering for being a Christian. One way to feel is feeling like an outcast, feeling outcast in that situation. And this makes people feel bad. And maybe for the person who's not that grounded in the faith, they can feel like, ah, I don't, I don't want to feel like an outcast. This ain't worth it. I don't want to do this. And, and of course, that's one way to feel about it. Others, when they've suffered for being a Christian, it's caused them to be embarrassed, embarrassed. And that's why Peter says here in verse 16, he says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him not be embarrassed. Let him not be ashamed of the gospel. And, and this is a, a way that people can feel. They can feel ashamed. It can make them feel low in that sense. And people don't like to feel low. But, but we don't need to feel uh, these ways. We don't need to feel like an outcast. We're chosen by God to be the sons and daughters of God. Amen. And if that means I have to suffer persecution, then so be it. Because I know that I'm a king's kid. I'm a part of the royal priesthood of all believers. I'm going to stand with Christ. I'm going to see him. And when I see him, I'm going to be like him. We're going to spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. I think I can endure feeling a little outcast. Amen. And to feel ashamed... To feel ashamed, Paul put it this way when he talked about the gospel in chapter 1 of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. Amen? So I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and living for him. That's, wow, that's freedom. That's freedom from sin. That's freedom from myself. That's life, true life in him. That I've literally, according to the scriptures, I've passed from death unto life. This has actually happened, Christian. 
in your life. This is what's happened. You've passed from death to life, and that's nothing to be ashamed about. That's something to rejoice in and to give God the glory for, to glorify God in the persecution. Wow, this is what we need to do. Peter tells us here to give glory to God. I came across this commentator on this particular passage, and this little paragraph, what he said about this, it might be interesting for you in light of kind of the political season that we're in. I I thought it was perhaps appropriate. He said this, quote, The name Christian, uh, Christianos, built on the name Christ with the suffix Ianos, a Latin formation, the Latinized formation Ianus, denotes a partisan follower. Christians categorize the follow, Christians are categorized the followers of Christ as members of the Christ party. Not little Christ as some popular explanations would have it. This is what this uh, particular commentator put it. So, I'm a member of the Christ party. What, what party are you affiliated with? The Christ party. The Jesus party. Amen. That's who I'm with. That's who I'm with. Amen. And, um, and I'm not ashamed to be with the Christ party. Uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, part of glorifying God in the midst of suffering is committing your soul to God in the suffering. Committing your soul. You, as a Christian, this is what we do. We commit our souls to Christ. And it's kind of like... Um, you know, I don't know, there's a couple few analogies that you can, can uh, make. And um, I, I actually have a friend here. Uh, it's a, a friend of mine. He lives in Utah. And the last time I saw him, we were uh, in Las Vegas on the, on, the, on the Las Vegas Strip having dinner. And, uh, and so I'll use a Las Vegas analogy. It's like walking up to the roulette table and putting all your money, all your whole life on the Jesus uh, the Jesus one. I mean, you're putting all your eggs in that basket. You're committing your soul. Where are you going to put all, where are you going to put your eggs in what basket? Yeah, I'm putting it all on Jesus. I'm putting it all on Jesus. I'm, I'm committing my soul to Jesus Christ. This is what we do. Now, Peter goes on here to talk about judgment, the judgment of God beginning in the household of faith. Now, this particular verse of scripture is a familiar verse of scripture to a lot of Christians. But it is often taken out of context. Um, and people will, you know, you'll hear this one thrown around and brought up in various, uh, you know, discussions. The, the judgment for the believer, and this is really what Peter is getting at here. You say the judgment of God beginning in the household of faith. The judgment of God coming to the household of faith. Who's that? That's me and you, Christian. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the judgment of God coming to us. So the judgment of God begins in the household of faith. The judgment for the believer is really then the present sufferings that have a training and purifying purpose in the lives of the believers. This is really the judgment of God. The judgment of God in the household of faith is Christians being trained and, 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 and literally dis- disciplined in the trials and tribulations that they're going through so that they're being purified and, 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 and literally uh, confirmed in the path and being with Christ, with Christ Jesus. 
They're, 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 they're having, a, it's having a training and purifying purpose in the life of believers. Because if you're a believer, that's what the judgment of God would come to do in your life. There's the, for the believer, there's no judgment. Oh, well, you're going to be judged and whatever. No, no, no. There's a judgment for all of those that are under, the, under the, 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 the judgment of sin. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 3 when he had the conversation with Nicodemus. The, the, the world, that mankind without Christ, without God, is, is under judgment. They're under the wrath of God. So the, the judgment that would come to the believer, to the household of faith is that discipline and that education and that training coming from a loving father that would bring us into the right behavior and the right path that he wants us to come into. There's good news for the Christian in that sense. Here's the good news for the Christian. Christians can rejoice that the sufferings they face in this life are the worst they will ever face. Let me say that again. Christians can rejoice that the sufferings they face in this life are the worst they will ever face throughout all eternity. When we get to the end of our lives, we will have seen the worst. We will have seen the worst that will ever happen to you because Paul put it this way, right, to the church at Philippi. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Amen? To be present with the Lord. When you and I have departed from this world and we've departed from this life, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to the very presence of Christ. We're going to see him in glory. And so this side of that, this is the worst, the worst of the sufferings that you will ever face. Now, for the, belief, for the unbeliever, Peter says, he says, uh, for the time has come for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is secretly saved, where, or scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? So Peter is basically saying, look, you know, and, and he's appealing to the knowledge that they would have that the, for the ungodly, for the person who's outside the household of faith, for the person who's just on their own, you know, they're going to stand before God. They're going to stand before, you know, we learn about that in, throughout the scriptures and, and specifically in Revelation, you know, the, the unbeliever will stand before the white throne judgment and give an account. But for us, we're going to have a righteous advocate. <laughs> He's already pleaded our case before the Father. We've already been justified, just as if we've never sinned at all. Amen? Because we've come under the forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel message. And so good news for the Christian. Whatever you suffer in this life, that's the worst of it for you. The ungodly will have to answer to God for their lives. And I think that makes it all the more important that we need to share with those around us that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to know the love of God. They need to know that they can be saved. They need to know that they, their sins can be forgiven. Tell them that, and people deep down know that they've sinned against a righteous God. Paul makes this argument in Romans chapter 1. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They know before God that they have sinned before him. They know. Even the atheist suppresses the truth in righteousness, and they know that they are guilty before a holy God. And so you tell them the gospel, 
that God loves you and gave himself for you that you could be forgiven and go clean and forgiven and holy before him and come into a right relationship with him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what, what should we do? What should we do in closing? Well, Peter, Peter sums it up for us here in verse 19 with a therefore. Amen? Therefore, let us who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So that's the admonition for each and every one of us. Commit yourself. Commit your soul to the Lord. If you'll do it, if you'll commit your soul to the Lord, you'll know. You'll know when the trial comes, when the tribulation comes, when the bad news comes, that we don't have to think it's strange. We don't have to think it odd. But we know that we're sharing, partaking in the sufferings of Christ and knowing in the bottom of our heart and mind and spirit that we are going to be, in the end, exceedingly glad and full of joy. And on top of that, we have the joy of the Holy Spirit because he's been given into our hearts for right now to be with us even in our situation right now. Amen? So it's a glorious thing, a glorious situation that we have as a believer. We can celebrate the good. We can rejoice in the suffering knowing that we're going to be exceedingly glad and full of joy.